Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irina Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and consultant to the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. On our last episode, our guest Lisa talked with us about safety issues, including that a man with a white collar job, in her case, an academic who stalked her for two years, can be just as dangerous as anyone else. We have been lucky to have such amazing guests on our last few episodes, but Michelle and I wanted to take a moment to weigh in on some of the recent conversations in the press about Tinder's 10-year anniversary and the current difficulties that heterosexual daters are facing on online platforms. of publications have written articles about Tinder's 10-year anniversary and have spoken to a lot of daters, including those who have used the dating apps for a long time. Katherine Pearson wrote the piece, A Decade of Fruitless Searching, The Toll of Dating App Burnout, for the New York Times, and Jillie Malinsky wrote an op-ed for CNBC.com on her own five years of getting burned out on the apps and what's next for her. There were some common points across these articles that have us thinking about the upsides and downsides of being on dating apps in their current state. The news about dating apps is not all bad. As Jilly Malinsky pointed out, a 2019 study showed that online dating is the most popular way for heterosexual couples to meet in the United States. The 2020 Pew Research Survey reported nearly 60% of people who tried online dating found it to be a positive experience overall. And currently, 12% of Americans report having had a long-term relationship and or marriage with someone they met on dating apps. However, with that 60% positive experience rating, that also means around 40% of people found their overall online dating experience to be negative to neutral. It will probably come as no surprise to our listeners what came up in those articles about what those negative experiences include flakiness, ghosting, catfishing, and harassment occurring in high numbers. So why do we keep up with it? And is it a good idea to do so? Both of these articles discussed feeling knocked back and forth between fear of missing out and so staying on the apps because you were afraid, what if I don't go on and that's when my perfect partner appears versus on the other end, burnout getting tired from all the time and energy you're spending on the apps with little to show for it. And in fact, people can spend from minutes to hours a day searching for matches. So it is a serious commitment of your time and effort. Several people who were interviewed across these articles reported feeling relief coming off the apps that the burnout had won out. Jilly Malinsky in her op-ed further pointed out that we cannot detect chemistry through technology. And that's why she felt so much of her time on the apps wasn't well spent because when she finally met the people she was talking with from the apps in person, more often than not, she quickly determined the chemistry she was looking for wasn't there. So in the end, frustration with not finding what you're looking for, despite putting all the time into looking, can lead people to be disheartened. 
Another thing that we noticed is that a lot of articles act like we're tired from binging or from indecisiveness rather than tired from being constantly disappointed by people's bad behavior. So this brings us to an article in Psychology Today that has made a lot of waves uh, and that we've referenced on a previous episode entitled The Rise of Lonely Single Men. And this piece was written by psychologist Greg Matos. So what he is saying there is that dating opportunities for straight men are going down because relationship standards are going up. And he notes three trends in the relationship landscape, as he sees them, that suggest that heterosexual men are about to have a problem or already have one. First of all, that 62% of users on dating apps are men and that, quote, many women are overwhelmed by the number of options they have. There's a lot of fierce competition going on, and so that's going to make it harder for men to find what they want. Second of all, that women's relationship standards are going up and that many women between the ages of 25 and 45 expect men who are emotionally available, who communicate well, and who share their values. Last, a lot of men struggle with what the author calls a skills deficit. So the fact that they don't have great communication skills and they have a hard time creating those emotional connections leads them to uh, exhibit behaviors that are not what women are looking for when it comes to long-term relationships. So at the same time, this is not something that's not fixable. And perhaps unsurprisingly, the psychologist author suggests that some individual therapy might be helpful for a lot of these men so that they can learn better communication. And he encourages a man and tells them, look, this kind of intimacy, romance, and emotional connection really might end up being worth your time. And he is uh, suggesting that it is a time of disruption when it comes to romantic relationship norms, but that it's going to take commitment from men and commitment on the front of seeking better mental health for themselves and a desire to create the right kind of love in the world. So, Michelle, with all this background in mind about what's been said in in the press in the last couple of months, which has been very interesting to us, where are we now 10 years into Tinder and other swiping apps? Are we facing insurmountable collective action problems? And what are daters supposed to do? I mean, those are great questions, and I think that's why a bunch of articles are being written about this, and I'm sure our listeners are interested in that. So we're going to try to dissect some of that. I think it can be helpful to think about where dating apps were at, what they were like back when they started, and what they have evolved, or you might argue devolved into (laughs) over time, so that we can then figure out What is the role of them now? What can we look for to make them viable options? And when, you know, into the future? Because it was definitely different 10 years ago. I was dating, and back then it was websites. um, And and I guess apps were starting. But I know for me, I did match.com and eHarmony.com. And there were websites you would go to. And, And I guess, yeah, I mean, 10 years ago is when Tinder came out. So... 
I know at that time for me, I found the apps to be just an incredible game changer because I am an introvert and it's hard for introverts to meet, especially if we like other introverts, other introverted people by our very nature, we don't go out much. We're not going to tend to meet other introverts while striking up a conversation at a bar or at a club or something because A, we're not there and B, if we are, we don't know how to strike up conversations. We're not inclined to do that. So, so for me, it was, I was just so thrilled that these online dating opportunities existed because I don't know where I would have met people otherwise. And also, you know, there were just, it seems like there were different kinds of people. The people who were on the apps back then seemed to, in my experience, kind of really be there more because they were looking to date rather than looking to scam people or to not know what they want, but just kind of put themselves out there anyway. I mean, I'm sure that happens some, but you just didn't see as much of it. And so I can understand how those things are much more rampant these days and and less attractive. What about you? What are some differences you notice for good or for bad from the early days of the apps to now? Well, I also did eHarmony and Match for about a year in the mid-aughts. And I had a similar experience. I don't remember there being nearly as much sketchiness, sexual aggressiveness. Uh, Certainly it existed. I'm not gonna pretend like, oh, all these people just changed over the span of a couple of years, but it was just less. It was just less. And most of the time things didn't work out because you know, you just didn't click with the person or the person was kind of boring, which frankly is something that is entirely tolerable. And even later with the apps, I wasn't really upset if I went out with someone. It was like, okay, like we had a nice chat. This is just not going anywhere. That's not what's upsetting. And, and I think a lot of articles are either completely brushing over the truly dark sides of what's happening on the apps or or just kind of like mention it in passing, right? And then move on to the next sentence and try to put a positive spin on it or or whatnot. And look, there's just no way around the fact, and this is where, even though I don't think it's a perfect article, but this is where I think this piece in psychology today is onto something. And I really appreciate the author's effort also to be a man who speaks to men, because perhaps some people are going to pay attention a little bit more and say, all right, well, maybe I have something to to learn from this person. I, you know, I, I don't think we should get stuck in this deadlocked men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and we're all just going to complain about each other and complain about uh, people who are a different gender or, or all of that. Uh, I think we can all learn from one another. But I do think it is helpful sometimes for somebody, again, from that gender itself to speak to the relevant population. And, you know, there are instances where I think women need to be told to to cut out bad behavior. And I think we're sort of in this in this kind of race to the bottom. And I'm not going to say both sides are equally at fault because I do not believe that. But we are in a race to the bottom where you have some men exhibiting really bad behaviors, really aggressive, scary behaviors, and then some women acting, frankly, what I would call princessy, 
where they're saying, I, when we've discussed this on the show, where they're saying, I'm not even going to go out on a date unless there's a nice dinner involved. Or he has to do this and this and this and this. And the, the standards are things that, frankly, are more something out of a Hollywood movie than what's really important for a functioning relationship. So I do think we're facing some some problems there in terms of communication, really, between genders. Yeah. So as I'm thinking back to one of the things that was different, and I remember when Tinder came out, it was different than the other matching sites, dating sites, because it was, you just look at someone's picture and you can swipe left or right. That's when swiping started with Tinder. It wasn't like that on the other dating sites before then. And I remember having, I was put off by that. I was like, ooh, that feels like we're treating people like not people, like objects, like uh, it's pretty or it's not. And let me just move on to the next. And I didn't love that idea Ultimately, a lot of people did like the format of Tinder, and that's why it became so popular. And it's been interesting to see what has happened over time, which is, I think my initial misgivings were correct, but maybe not in the way that I foresaw. Like, I thought it was kind of gross to just judge people based on their pictures, just have that quick impression and swipe left or right based on that. But I will say, you know, I think I stand a little corrected on that. Um, in part because of one of the issues that Jilly Malinsky brought up in her op-ed, which was, no, she said you can't get a total sense of chemistry from communicating with somebody on the app. And that's true. That does require talking to them at the very least or meeting in person perhaps to get that real sense of chemistry. But, you know, what I was being a little lofty about at the time rather than realistic you know, 10 years ago was the idea of attraction shouldn't matter as much as it does. I don't know. I mean, physical attraction probably does matter. I think it's okay that people swipe on that. I've come around on that point. And I do see why people found that to be an attractive feature of the app. Even if it doesn't sound nice, it, it just practically speaking, it's true. We're attracted to who we're attracted to. That kind of seems okay to me. But I do think it's still led to what we hear about more now is like the gamification of dating apps. So where it feels like a game. So I think the problem with the gamification is it makes it feel like we are the player in a game. And so I am the swiper and these pictures I am swiping through, it's almost as if they aren't real people with emotions, feelings that are going to get hurt. It's not because I swiped or didn't swipe on them, but if I start up a conversation with them and then later act disinterested. And so we're treating these other people on the other side of things like avatars in a game. And I do think that that has been part of what has contributed to why the apps are unpleasant these days. And I think really, as you said, can occur in people of any gender that we fall into these bad behaviors. But I do think that it disproportionately occurs in men for the reasons brought about in the Psychology Today article that on average, men are not socialized to be well in touch with emotion, to be emotionally intelligent, to think about how other people might feel about things and how it's okay and, and even good and desired to be sensitive to other people's feelings rather than the toughest, I don't care about anything person in the room. And so when that article talked about hey, good communication skills and strong emotional intelligence are what 
a lot of daters are looking for, but they're not finding it as often in men, I definitely think the gamification coupled with that has led to a lot of the problems we've seen. And I do think that those issues brought up in that article about lack of emotional awareness are really worth exploring in terms of why people aren't finding happiness on the apps these days. Now, one of the articles I read recently uh, suggested that basically the online world can provide you with this kind of good enough diet of intimacy. So it's not going to provide you with the high quality romantic relationship, hopefully long-term relationship for some people that is, I would argue, going to enable your fruition as a fuller human being and, and allow you to discover all these wonderful things together and activities and emotional experiences and all of that. And at the same time, like, maybe it's not terrible. If you're like an okay looking person, again, by conventional standards, you're considered an okay looking person. Yeah, you can find some hookups. You can find some people with whom you're not going to have to do this kind of deep emotional work. It's going to be relatively easy. You can kind of keep going, you know, a little porn, a little swiping, a little hooking up. And, and so life just kind of continues. And one of the things that I just continue to puzzle over, and I feel like we have not gotten to an answer here yet. And, you know, uh, we're going to have to keep digging is how do we show some people what they're missing? Like what they're missing about those, those long-term relationships that yes, maybe are more work than some of these hookups, but that are also, or can be really wonderful and life-changing and provide a kind of support that I think, especially as people get older, they're going to end up needing more and more and more because are you really going to want to keep swiping for hookups into retirement age? And, and, you know, at some point, also at some point, like sex is not going to be everything, even for people who are like super, super sexual. And you got to lay the foundation. It's going to be hard to wake up at 65 and say, okay, now I'm ready. And you have this deficit where you didn't have relationships all this time and other people did. And you're going to, in a way, like these people are going to fall more and more behind. Like if you could sort of speak to them now, what would you say to them? So I think it's exactly what you said, that we need to ask people to think about when do you think you're going to come out of this phase where you just want to hook up or that you're looking for something more casual? Are you ultimately looking for a long-term relationship? Because do you realize that if you wake up, as you said, at 65 and are like, okay, I'm ready for this now, there's going to be less options available for you for a variety of reasons. One, because lots of people are already going to be partnered off at that point. And look, maybe it's not 65, maybe it's 40 or 45. But even still, there's going to be people who are partnered off at that point who are no longer available to you just numbers wise. Also, the older you get, the less likely, obviously, this varies by gender, but it is true that the less likely younger people are going to want to date you. And, you know, a lot of the times we do see men in their 40s, 50s having relationships with 20 something year old women. Not that that is the norm, but we do see it some. All the same, there is still 
a third thing to think about there, which is what the Psychology Today article was getting at as well. A lot of people don't want you if you haven't been spending those last 5, 10, 15, 20 years developing the kind of skills that would make you a valuable partner. Nobody wants a partner who's new to this, new to being a good partner. And so I do think your point is a good one, that people really should be thinking ahead to what their own, not only immediate goals, but near-term and long-term future goals are and asking themselves how consistent their current behavior is and their planned behavior is with the outcomes they themselves want. So hearkening back to, to the op-ed on CNBC.com, Julie Malinsky talked about the idea of intentionality. Now she said she's trying to be more intentional in thinking about what does she want and do the things she want align with what she can get from the apps. And so she's making more intentional uses about if not, then I don't have to spend my time on the apps. If being on the apps makes me feel bad about myself, but knitting or going to dinner with friends makes me feel good about myself, I'm going to do those things. And so I think it's a good point that she makes being intentional in that way. But I would also argue it's important to be intentional as you think about for any of us, our own wishes, desires for interpersonal relationships, as well as just for our app behavior in general. How do we think the way that we're behaving on these apps align with our goals and the way that we're behaving in terms of our self-development? How well does that align with making ourselves an attractive or desirable partner to the kind of people we'd want to be partners with? Yeah, I think those are all such good points. And, you know, you can't fight reality. I feel like I say that a lot. You can't fight what the nature of the pool is and that it might be tough and that especially uh, even if you did do all the right things that like the older you get, it might get more difficult. But one of the things you can do is you can get better and better and better at eliminating individuals from contention who are not going to be the right people. And I think I come back to something we've said before, which is that especially women sometimes are being too nice. Like they just feel like they have to be entertaining a conversation with someone or spend that second hour on the date with the person. Just stop. I mean, really just stop. You you don't have forever. You only live once. You need to get out of there. That doesn't mean being rude. But it does mean don't waste the other person's time either. If you can tell the date is not going anywhere, then say so and go home. And you're really not doing anyone favors, not yourself and not the other person by going by some kind of script you thought was there. And you know, let me add something else that's also been in the press lately, not for the first time. My goodness, these requests for money from men who feel like the date didn't go the way they wanted, whether it's because it didn't end in sex or the woman did not agree to a second date. That goes right back to what you were saying about commodifying people. I mean, I guess the piece that made some headlines recently was with the guy that wanted his $13 back that he spent at Chipotle. And that look, who knows how serious that was, but it's happened with more expensive restaurants. Also, 
if you don't want to spend the money, then don't spend the money. The, the other person does not owe you anything except, yes, courtesy, but that's not part of courtesy. If you chose a place, especially, and you invited someone out, well, that's on you. If you don't want to pay for dinner, pay for just a drink. And again, I say to women, uh, stop with the expectations of expensive first dates. It's not realistic, given the world we live in, given how difficult it is for anyone. I mean, look at it from the man's perspective, too. Wealthy men are, are often being used for their money by all sorts of people, not just in dating, right? People want to socialize with them or network with them or whatnot just because they want something from them. It's not good to create that same impression. And then non-wealthy men, it can be a real difficulty for them to, to spend that kind of money over and over. Like, again, even good guys who are not necessarily just using women or, or wanting to sleep with them. Like, I think it's important to have some empathy for, for people here and uh, on both sides uh, and, and really keep that first date cheap, keep that first date short, <laughs> use it efficiently, make up your mind, have those phone calls and Zoom meetings first. There are a million ways to make this process more efficient. And, and I think people should, should do that again in a kind, friendly, fun way. But this whole, you know, prolonged, oh, I'm going to have this dinner date and I'm only, here's another one. I'm only free on Fridays. I'm leaving for the next three weeks and then making no effort to keep in touch with the person. I mean, I'm sorry, but who do you think you are? Even if you are that special, the other person has no way of knowing that yet. So look at the world from the perspective of the other person a little bit too, whether you're a man or a woman. And here is where I am going to take women to task also. There is so much flakiness, not just on the part of men, but also on the part of women and so many mixed signals and lack of clarity. And I understand why some women want the guy to pursue, especially because there is this presumption to overcome that the guy might just want sex, et cetera, et cetera. That does not mean you do not reply to the person for two days on text or even one full day. It, it does not mean you just sort of disappear and expect things to be just as you left them a month ago when you went on your eat, pray, love adventure, right? Like it, the world doesn't work like that, people. And these are just immature. I'm feeling spicy today, Michelle. Like these are just immature behaviors that people need to cut out. Now, I hear you. And I also think that it, I, I do feel like we did a good job picking articles for today because I feel like so much of what we're talking about really is covered in these articles, both about, as you said, it coming down to learning how to put yourself in other people's shoes and making decisions not only that are ideal for you, but that also indicate to the other person, I think about you and how this would impact you. And and I wouldn't like to be ignored for a week. So let me not ignore you for a week. You know, so really those communication and emotional intelligence skills, there's a real value to developing those that people should, should try to understand. You know, I understand that our society has historically promoted those sort of skills as more feminine skills. But what we are learning is those are not gender-based skills or abilities everyone would benefit 
from developing emotional intelligence, the ability to perspective take, as well as good communication skills. And then once again, I feel like a lot of this comes back to intentionality as well. The idea of what are you looking for? If what you're looking for is somebody who's really interested in you and somebody who you're really interested in and spending time with those people, does that align with only being available one night a week? Does that align with them having to chase after you? You know, I know you had mentioned with the Chipotle thing that had gone viral lately that maybe some of that was staged, but the comment section underneath it sure wasn't. You know, it was really insightful to read a lot of what people had to say, and they weren't all in lockstep either. You know, they really did speak to taking people to task for asking for money back, as well as taking people to task for expecting money to be spent on them. And A, just not have a, having a conversation about that on the front end. You know, uh, yes. I agree with you that I think first dates, if you're being intentional about it, should be short and shouldn't be that expensive so that there's no hard feelings on either side so that there's not exactly set up in either way. It's just a smart call if you're trying to be intentional. And if you've got certain kind of feelings about spending money or having money spent on you, that should be discussed prior to the date and agreed upon prior to the yes. date. Yes. Why do people, this is one of those things that just drives me bananas, right? Like, why is this not something that can be discussed? Let's say a man asks out a woman to a restaurant that frankly, she cannot afford to pay for half. Why should she not be able to ask or say, hey, just so you know, like this is above my budget. So if this is something where it would be ideal for us to split the bill, I would be happy to go somewhere cheaper. Right. Like it's just again, just being kind of like clear about it or for the guy to say, oh, you know what? Like, no, actually, I can't afford to pay for both of us. I really was hoping to split or whatever. Like, let, let's go right. somewhere. Cheaper. Like, what, what can we just talk about these things? Why does it all have to be so charged? By the way, I have to throw in another one that's come up a lot recently uh, that I've seen on social media a lot. Women telling other women, you're the prize. Yes. You are the prize and you should act accordingly. Now, I do think there is a, uh, so often, there is a grain of truth in what is being conveyed, which is don't sell yourself short. Don't let people mistreat you. Don't let people abuse you. That is all good. That's all a good message. All important. But this is all, yes, all important, all good. But what it cannot become is, you know, it's actually buying into patriarchal concepts. It's in you're the prize, right? So it's like, here comes the guy on his white horse chasing after you and like he has to win you over and be the pursuer and and you know and then whatever happens uh, and really is that the kind of relationship you want and uh, you know i mean i think there's also i also just uh, saw a discussion on the topic of whether people who met on bumble where women initiate first whether that leads to the woman sort of turning into the pursuer for the rest of time, right? And, and they're interesting questions, right? Like what kind of dynamics are set up and what kinds of people are, are drawn to different apps. But I am deeply concerned that in an effort to do something that's very understandable, which is to try to avoid uh, and, and stop some of the abuse that women are experiencing. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of it, a lot of abuse, emotional and uh, violence and so on that in an effort to do that, that 
when some women are doing things that are even going to push away genuinely good guys. Uh, because a, an average nice guy, he doesn't want to hear that you're the prize. That's weird. I'm sorry, that's just weird. Uh, am I wrong here, Michelle? I don't think you're weird. Again, I'm really stuck on the intentionality thing. I think, look, if your intention is to be the prize, then okay, go looking for people who are making it clear that they're looking for a prize and make it clear that you're looking to be pursued as a prize. But I think for most of us, our intention is to be an equal in a relationship. And if that's what your intention is, then you shouldn't think of yourself as the prize. You should think of yourself as a prize and the other exactly. person is a prize. And that's exactly and what I was thinking too. Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. I mean, right? I mean, I, I think there is a certain, look, there's a certain immaturity there. Again, there is a certain lack of emotional development. And, and there is also a, a hurt that is being displayed. I've been hurt so many times that now I have to be, and you know, people are talking about um, high value men and low value men and high value women and low value women. And it, it's turned into this whole, it's turned into this whole lingo, again, very binary. There aren't just high value this and high value that. Like, people are on a spectrum on any number of values. They're gonna be better at some things. They're gonna be worse at others. Even if you do end up in a long-term relationship, and then that's the other thing here. If you think that because the person pursued you during the infatuation phase, that says anything about how they're going to treat you five years, 10 years down the line, or if you have kids, how they're going to treat the children, what kind of husband they're going to be, what kind of father they're going to be. No, no, it's not going to tell you anything. Anyone can be a knight in shining armor for a short period of time. That's not what's important. That's true. And that tends to fall apart after a few months. Like two months is typically, I would say, if you made it that far, usually we start to see those chinks in the armor. But um, but where you start to see that. And, and it could be longer for some people, but absolutely, like you said, during an infatuation phase, the early phase of getting to know somebody and realizing that you're into each other, everything should be pretty good. You really shouldn't be experiencing too much drama during those periods, but you should be looking aside from that chemistry, aside from how fun and new this person is towards what it is that you are ideally looking for, for the long term out of this, as well as more important enduring things like values and compatibility on things like values. You know, I think on some level we're coming full circle because I really like what you said about people being the player in this game. And I think those people who are not thinking ahead about what's it going to be like if I'm 50 and I have never really had a long relationship and, but don't worry, I'm just going to get married then and I'll, I'll find some desperate woman and, you know, and I make enough money, so it's going to be fine. Those people don't think about the need for them to develop. They have a very static view of themselves and a very static view of other people. So they think, okay, like we're just going to progress and I'm going to get to a certain age and then I'm going to get that person. Well, maybe even if you can get someone to accept you, the problems are going to come later. And I think here is maybe one thing that might be helpful for us to talk about is what have we learned from being married? What have we learned from being in long-term relationships? Like in what way are you and I different from who we were as daters, as partners 
in our who are we in our 20s versus who are we now in our 40s yeah i mean i definitely easily for me the first thing i can think of and if i could go back and do it again or so share this advice with people who are in their 20s and are doing this for the first time is i do think it helps to think about any given person you are dating i think of them like a piece of art and i think about if you go to an art gallery there's lots of beautiful artwork. It's all different. And while I might think this is the most beautiful piece in the museum, you might think another piece is, and that's cool. And so we each can look for what works for us. But I also think much like with a piece of art, you don't want to pick something apart for little details. You want to stay focused on the big picture. And I think I did too much of that when I was younger. I would hone in on a little detail that I didn't that I wished were different about a person and say, well, I should hold out for more because this person doesn't have this relatively small inconsequential thing exactly the way I would have dreamed it up. Rather than looking at who was actually in front of me, I had more built up an image of who I wanted to see. And I think that really made me miss out on the beauty of the people who were in front of me, the beauty inside and out of who these people were, what they had to offer, the curiosity, the learning, the experiences, the exploring that comes with that by just shutting it down because they hadn't fit a preset mold I had come up with. So I know for me, I'm much more inclined to now, I'm in a, in a relationship now, but the last time I was on the apps to really try to take my time to get to know the picture that was emerging of this person. And if there were little things that maybe weren't exactly the way I would have drawn it up to see where that fit in the larger context of who they were, how much that changed the whole of who they were. And, and often it doesn't change it at all or much at all in any appreciable way. So I know that's something I've learned is to really do more of a, let me put together, compile information about who I'm actually seeing rather than try to fit them into a pre-existing mold. That's easily the first thing I can think of. What about you? You know, for me, I think there were the ways in which I was too tolerant and the ways in which I was not tolerant enough. And, and it's been kind of a, a journey to figure out which is which. So there are on the things that where I was too tolerant, there are certain things for which I did not have the language that I have today. There were trends, there were problems that I did not identify as being, for example, common problems rooted in toxic masculinity, like things like that were abusive behaviors, words, ways of doing things that today I, I really hope I would not tolerate in that sense. And that somebody with, despite some help or whatnot, really is not changing on that front that I would say, okay, so we're, and, and I definitely overstayed in several relationships in my twenties, for sure. The thing where I think I've become more tolerant, maybe that actually goes toward the, what you're saying about the little things. I think the more time you are on this earth and the more people you get to know and the more people you're partnered with, the more you realize there are a lot of different ways of doing certain things. And, and a lot of things, there really is no right or wrong. And it's a matter of, okay, are we kind of close enough that we can adapt? We talked about this with the love languages too. Are we kind of close enough in our alignment that we can adapt? 
If so, let's do it. Let you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had a piece of uh, advice about marriage, and she had that long, very successful marriage, and she said, you know, in marriage, it's best to be a little deaf, right? <laughs> and, and I think she she understood that you need to be able, frankly, to overlook some of the other person's flaws. And so I think, you know, and I'm not the only one to say this, and a number of authors about relationships have made the same point, which is we need to be in some sense, or many of us need to be more critical during the infatuation phase and less critical during the relationship phase. I love that. Yeah. That's really smart. And I really appreciate what you said too, how you framed it as sometimes we are too accommodating sometimes we're not accommodating enough um, because and so my thought had immediately gotten to how maybe I wasn't accommodating enough but certainly people can be too accommodating too and that I think brings us back to some of what these articles were talking about about the burnout that can happen I think that very much has to do when people get burned out on the apps about how overly accommodating they can be to bad behavior and we had talked about in a group that we belong to a lady who had just kind of showed scrolling through her phone, you know, you join some of these apps and you are on there no more than like an hour and you get just, depending on what area you live in, tens, twenties, maybe even more, just highs, hey, what's up? Things like that, just this very half-hearted, low investment reaching out. And for some of us, even just seeing all of those, be like, wow, I just joined an hour ago and now I already have 25 messages, can feel exhausting, like you wanna back away. And some people also feel as though they need to respond to all of those messages. Whereas I always tell people, if you didn't initiate contact, you don't need to respond to anything. And, And so I think that can help you not get so burnt out on it. But when you are overly accommodating, cause some of these people on the apps, will feel like they take the stance of it doesn't hurt to ask or to put myself out there. And so so they're very willing to put out there anything from a high or hey to a sexually explicit picture or sexually explicit comment because they understand what's the worst that's going to happen. You're going to ignore me. Well, that's really no different than if I don't take the three seconds it takes to send this. And so for them, it's low investment to send out something like that. But for people on the receiving end, it can be very exhausting. And so that I do, I would agree with you that we need to learn to be less accommodating of stuff like that. Nobody needs to have the time for that. No. And, you know, I think it is sometimes difficult for the average man to understand what it's like being a woman on these apps. I understand for men, it can be frustrating if they don't get a lot of matches, or if they do put effort into a message and the woman still doesn't respond even though they matched. Okay, that is genuinely frustrating, and I get that. But women just get bombarded with some of the nastiest stuff, nasty, nasty, like threats. I'm going to do this and that to you. I mean, just awful, awful stuff to which they didn't consent. And many women, I have to come back to that statistic, many women do experience actual sexual violence, right? The fact that we think it's in the ballpark of one third of women, as we've said on, on past episodes, in the ballpark of one third of women getting sexually assaulted from these dates. It's like, you know what? Just keep that in mind the next time you're frustrated because the person didn't reply or the person looked a little different when they showed up to the date. This is nothing compared to what some people are going through. And a lot of those people tend to be 
either women or non-binary people, gay men. So it, it's, it's the thing I say, you know, not all victims are women, but most of the perpetrators are men. And that's something you need to understand. And I think it is not okay. And we've talked about this is not okay to make fun of people for putting in safety measures. It is not okay to call people paranoid. It is not okay to just fundamentally lack empathy. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're different and hashtag not all men and it's like, this person, this woman has no way of knowing what they are dealing with. They have no way of knowing you. And why don't you see that? It's really not that hard. And so for your own entitlement to become more important, to become, you know, for your own sense of oh, how dare she. And for some people, it's also part of their ideology that they feel like, oh, these feminists, right, with their concerns and whatnot. So for women, it's kind of like, as I've said before, damned if they do and damned if they don't. If something bad happens to them, it was their fault. If they try to investigate, then they're being paranoid harpies. And so, you know what, like, do not expect women to have any kind of tolerance for that stuff. I think that stuff should be liberally reported to app operators. People like that shouldn't be on the apps. And, and at the end of the day, as we also say, there is, you don't have a right to a relationship, whether you're man, woman, non-binary, you don't have a right to a relationship. And so you do the best you can. You try to improve yourself. If you see that it's not working out for you, you need to seek help from someone instead of hitting, you know, beating your head against the wall. Like, go see a therapist, ask some honest friends of the gender you're trying to date to critique your profile, work with a dating coach, work with somebody who can give you advice, you know, follow some of the advice from some of our earlier episodes. Maybe you're not doing as good of a job as you think you are. And that's okay. There's no shame in not having been born a pro at tindering, right? Like I've seen so many highly, highly intelligent, accomplished people whose profiles look absolutely terrible, whose text sends a, a weird message accidentally, like maybe sounds mildly threatening or is not nearly as funny as they think or is super negative, or their pictures are just bad, right? And so if those things are happening to you, it is so easy to fix that. You might turn around your entire dating situation very, very quickly. So in, you know, invest in some books, listen to some of our earlier episodes. There really is a lot of hope in that department. I totally agree. And I think coming back to the CNBC article, the op-ed where that author said she's taken some time from the apps. I think it's fine. Do all the things, Irina, that you were just saying, you don't have to do that while also staying on the apps. If they're frustrating you, if you're exhausted from yeah. them, if they're not working out the way you wanted, you know, get off of them. You can try to meet people in other ways. You can also take some time to yourself. As, as that author, Jillian Malinsky, talked about, take some time to engage in your own interests, or as you said, read some books, go seek out some help, figure out what what's not working well about this and come back to it if and when it feels like a good match for what you're looking for. Because I do think 10 years in, these apps do have a lot of promise. Again, the statistics don't lie. More people find enjoyment from them than don't, but the statistics also don't lie. There's still a sizable proportion of people who are struggling on the apps. And for them, I would say, take some time away. Go do these other things. Meet people in other places. You wouldn't believe this, but I was talking with a client of mine recently who is introverted and we were in struggles with dating 
And we had talked about where she could go about meeting people. And of course, talked about the apps as a possibility, but we went looking at meetup.com, which is also an app, the meetup app. And we saw there's a group in our area that is a meetup group for introverts. And so who knows, maybe those exist in other areas as well. You know, there are other ways, even for introverts in this day and age to meet each other. And so there is hope off of the apps, but just because the apps are frustrating in all the ways we have discussed today, I think if people take the steps towards personal growth, towards relational growth, towards perspective taking that we've talked about, the apps can continue to be a fun and successful place to meet people for dating and relationship purposes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned before on the show, like for me, meetup led to some like interesting experiences, Not nothing awful, but just not, it was just not a, a good, at least the, the groups I picked were just not a good place to meet people. But other people have had fantastic experiences, like you're saying, so it depends, depends on your area, depends on what you're doing. The other thing is, just as you've said so many times, try something different, right? Just, just keep trying different things. And if you see, you know, just listen to your gut also. Like if you see this person is not making an effort to meet up with me, I constantly have to be the one doing all the work, even after several weeks. Maybe this person has a huge need for being alone or has, has a lot of avoidant behaviors. And for you, that just doesn't work. There's no shame in that. Again, I think so many people try to adapt to these molds of, oh, I have to seem distant and interesting. And it's like, if that's not who you are, then no, don't pretend to be distant. Don't pretend that you love to fill your life with hobbies five nights a week and, and barely have time for dating just to prove a point. You're not going to win here. You are not going to win. You need to find somebody that is kind of close enough to your own values. And especially the older you get, the less likely you are to be able to change that person in, in any significant way. And it's just going to lead to frustration, if not in the beginning, then down the line. And you know what? At some point, yeah, maybe lower your standards when it comes to superficial things like looks. At some point, you do have to make the decision as to, okay, I've been single X number of years. Is it more important for me to have a certain standard of attractiveness or is it more important for me to, to find a good person? Because I really do think, and again, we come full circle, I do think that having a high bar when it comes to looks is probably one of the biggest things that is within the control of each person. And, and here's where you really do have to, the question, is it fair? Is it quote unquote fair that like, if you are, let, let's say you're on the conventional attractiveness scale, you consider yourself a nine and you can only get a six from the other gender of what you consider conventionally attractive. Is that fair? These scales are basically, I just made them up anyway, right? So it, oh, this is all artificial in the first place. There is no fair or unfair. And here's where I'm going to say it is a market. It is a market and you get what you get and you have to decide if it's more important for you to hold out for the person that's also quote unquote a nine, or if it's more important for you to say, you know what, it's okay. This person might not be, you know, a model, but Hey, maybe we can have a really happy life together. And that unfortunately is, you know, them's the rules. <laughs> well, I think what, I'm concluding from our discussion today is the apps themselves 
aren't so much the problem so much as the user error on the apps. Now, the apps do have some flaws. Certainly, we've talked before, I'll blast Tinder in particular, for it being known for taking away people's profiles, banning their access based on somebody reporting them, but not disclosing to the person what was reported or what can they do to refute that. So yes, there are some problems with that. Let me let me qualify that. But a lot of what has changed on these dating sites over time has been this people-based behavior that we have been discussing today. So if I'm summarizing a few things that we've talked about today, it's don't engage in bad behavior yourself. Learn to do some perspective taking and think about how the person on the other side of this interaction may feel. Also, just kind of simple, don't treat people a way you wouldn't like to be treated. And as we've discussed before, ideally, platinum rule, treat them how they'd like to be treated. Also, take the time to see the value in other people. Don't default to critiquing them and picking them apart. Have a curiosity about getting to know them. And third, I would say, as we've discussed many times today, be intentional, think through what you want. Are your actions consistent with that? Are the actions of the people you're talking with consistent with that? And use those things as your compass. I think when you do that, you will have more positive experiences with the apps. But look, if you're not having a positive experience with the app, take a break. It's okay too. These apps are a great tool. I'm glad we have them. And lots of happy matches have been made from them. But there are some downsides. And I think if you're intentional about how you use them, when you use them, what you're willing to put up with and what you're not, you're more likely to fall into that positive and satisfied group than the negative. I don't like this group. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter or on Instagram. I would like to thank my husband and sound engineer, Carlos Farini, as well as Vlad Kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.